Humans, 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 to start this out, to start this out, today, we're going to do a video montage. Sid, how the heck can you do a video montage in a podcast? Well, I provide the direction, okay? The sound. Think of me as the film director, okay? I'm also the sound mixer. But, but you are the videographer. You are the DP, the director of photography. So we're going to start this show out with a video montage. What is the montage of, Sid? Okay, here we go. It's people dropping their Apple AirPods. They're dropping their Apple AirPod, the little case, the case they come in, that stupid elliptical half ovular, half rectangular, is it a cube, is it something else, round, is it a, is it a rounded rhombus, it's people dropping that, okay, it's people dropping that Apple AirPod case, and then it's those headphones, those AirPods flying, flying out, is this someone walking into a deli? Walking into a 7-Eleven. Is this someone in a mall? Dropping them down the escalator. Oh, God, there they go. Is this someone at an airport? Boom, 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 boom. There, there they are. Pow. And there's that embarrassment when you realize you've let go. And then they hit the ground. And then they splash. And you, oh, God, I hope no one noticed. And you're trying to wrangle them. And there's another one. What, what are we imagining right now, humans? Smash cuts of people dropping them, dropping them in public, maybe into a pool, maybe at home where your pets drop, AirPod explode, AirPod explode. Ugh. And maybe finally we just, we hone in on one person. And they drop them in the middle of the street. They go to grab them. And they look up. And there's a bus. I wish you could see me, humans. I was doing conductor hands. I did not have a baton or a wand, but I was doing conductor hands. How we doing, humans? We have a jam-packed show today, absolutely jam-packed. I've got some topics, we've got the listener line, we have, uh, I'm going to call it a jam-packed hour. Maybe we'll make it to an hour, maybe we'll have to go a little over, I don't know. There's a lot to fit in here, and I'm hyped, and I know you're hyped, because one, it's Friday, if you're listening on a Friday, it's freaking Friday morning, of course I'm recording this on Thursday night, but I've got that Friday energy, you know I bring it, you know I can summon it. I dig down deep. I mean, every day is Friday. If you, if you, if you, if for those who truly believe, fix that hole in your pocket. So anyway, humans, we're going to talk some documentaries. Okay. I've got some takes on documentaries these days in general. And then we're going to get into a documentary and you're thinking to yourselves, well, what's it going to be? What's Sid been watching? He's always telling us to watch Pumping Iron in January. Okay. To get us beach-minded, beach-body-minded. Did he? Is he? Will he? 
Has he watched the Arnold documentary on Netflix? Well, maybe that's what we're going to talk about, humans. But I'm going to talk about documentaries in general. I also... Listen, no one likes conflict, okay? No one likes conflict. But conflict is going to raise its ugly head. Or maybe maybe we should replace the word conflict with tension. You know, that's where humor can come from, is the tension, okay? But we're going to talk a little conflict again. Maybe you can replace that with tension if it makes you uncomfortable. We have a lot to get to on the listener line. Several submissions and some follow-ups, honestly. Honestly, we have a, we have a pretty big follow-up. And Brian and Pelham, I'm looking at you. You know, we're all breaking bread in the hideaway right now. Maybe we're nursing our hangovers from uh, the Hideaway Beach Club Mixer. Of course, if you're new to the show, if some of this doesn't make sense, like what the heck is the Hideaway Beach Club Mixer, bear with me, bear with us. We're an inclusive community, and if you just listen, you'll catch up. Trust me. Now, the reason I'm going after Brian, I mean, I'm not going after him, but I'm, I'm summoning his opinion here. I'm summoning some words. I'm summoning some clarification or, you know, what did, what did you think? And that goes back to, you know, NBA. Uh, we won't call him a phenom yet, but hyped NBA number one draft pick, Victor Wimbanyana, of course, from France. Of course, depending on who you listen to, seven foot four. Okay, young guy, very young guy, what, 19, 18, something like that? Brian put him on our radar. Brian put him on our radar and said, listen, you're always saying that the hideaways got its finger on the pulse of society. And Brian, we do. And you listeners are what helped do that. And Brian, I'm first of all, although I'm asking you, you know, for some clarification here or maybe an opinion, I'm going to say thank you because you did bring this guy to us. You served him up to us on a platter. You said this is going to be something. You know, you want the hideaway, the hideaway, the Sydney Hollis show has its finger on the pulse of society. Well, you didn't let us miss one. You didn't let us miss one. Now, I think I think your call, your take, you were kind of speculating that he was going to be this big National Basketball Association star. But he's already made the news twice. He's already made the news twice for reasons other than basketball. So... We are summoning your opinion, Brian. Again, no pressure. It's whatever. It's whatever. But you did serve him up to us, and, and maybe for reasons you weren't expecting. So perhaps an answer. Who knows? Who knows? But I'm going to talk some Victor Wimbanyana, or as people would say, Wemby. And of course, it's Wimbledon season. Wimbledon's a little late this year. Usually it's already over by now. That's a homonym with Wemby. You know, the the Wimb and Wimbledon is created by the letter I. The Wimb and Wimby is created by the letter E. So we're gonna we're gonna touch on that, humans. We've got we've got some listener line submissions, and it's it's crazy how some of this stuff weaves itself together. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. It's not crazy. Okay, we're we're like minded. We're thinking the same way. Because we're a community, okay? We're syncing up. It's a it's an improv thing. Group mind. We've, we're developing group mind. 
here at the hideaway. Now, for the new, new listeners, what's the hideaway? The hideaway is the place we go to in our minds when we break bread here at this podcast. I'm there now. I'm talking into a microphone now. I'm talking into a microphone on Thursday night. The earliest you guys are, are able to hear this is Friday, July 14th. You're now experiencing it when you're listening to it, but we're all gathered there together. We're all, I'm present with you now. The other listeners are there with you now. When you hit play on this show, when I hit record on the show, we all come together at the hideaway. What is the hideaway? Well, it's a beach community. Now there's the hideaway, the bar that started it all. Adjacent to that, there's hideaway bluffs, the luxury high-rise condominiums. In the first floor of Hideaway Bluffs is Mug Club Brewery, which you have an opportunity to join. We've got six, is it six? Six new members as of last week. Um, and of course, there's Hideaway Bluffs Marina and Hideaway Bluffs Beach Club. The Beach Club hosted a mixer last week. Again, again, if you're new to the show, you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out in time. But right now you're in the hideaway. Enjoy it. There's a nice, cool breeze. You know, my shirt's unbuttoned. I'm wearing a shirt, but it's unbuttoned. I'll tell you that much. And I've got shorts on. Shorts on. <laughs> Sid, what's the footwear? What's the footwear? Are you in UFOs? Are you wearing recovery sandals? I won't say. I won't say. And human, since I brought up Wimbledon... You know, the tennis match that takes place across the pond. <laughs> I may as well bring up Le Tour. Le Tour de France. You know, I watch it every year. You know, it's it's a replay sometimes by the time I get around to watching it. When I'm unemployed, I watch it live. That's the best, dude. When it's like morning and you're watching like the tour when it's actually happening in France and you're just like having a coffee and you're like, dude, I'm just watching these people cycle. And it's fantastic. I mean, half the reason to watch the Tour de France is to watch the views. You watch the views, and then the, then the race gets kind of exciting there at the end. And unlike watching motor racing, uh, you know, <laughs> these things are powered by humans, not not things that em emit emissions. It's a little healthier sport for the environment. But let's not go there today, humans. After all, some of you are probably listening to this in your motor vehicles. So, before we get to my take on documentaries and my thoughts on documentaries, you know I'm a dockhead. Let's dive into Victor Wimbenyana. Victor Wimbenyana from France. Hyped number one draft pick. Of course, that goes well sometimes. It doesn't go well other times. Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson, who played for Duke who was the biggest thing since sliced bread. Literally, I mean, he was, he was, you know, he's, he's, he's built like a truck. And that was the thing. He can, he can move down the court at such high speed. He can jump. He can do this. He can do that. And he's big. He's a tour de force. Listen to me with all my French. Anyway, when he was in college, it was one year. He went, to, he, went, he went his freshman year. And when he played in that historic rivalry, Duke versus UNC, okay, in the regular season, it was Duke at home at Cameron Indoor, and everybody was there. You know Cameron Indoor, tiny stadium, tiny 
stadium. That's half the fun of Cameron Indoor Arena. Even Obama was there. Former President Obama was even at the game. Musty television that night. And first couple of minutes of the game, Zion blows out his shoe. Talk about a disaster for Nike. Where's that movie, huh? Matt Damon and Ben Affleck? And Jason Bateman? Where's that movie? We've seen the, the Michael Jordan shoe movie. Where's Nike screwing up? on a shoe. This this guy's this guy's huge, he's powerful. He plants his foot. He blows his shoe right out. He blows his shoe right out and can't even play in the game. <sighs> but that's not even what we're talking about today. Of course, he was very hyped, very hyped. He currently plays for the New Orleans Pelicans. But the big news with him this week is that he he's he needs some discipline and that he's a little too heavy, okay? He hasn't lived up to this biggest thing since sliced bread so you know these number one draft picks these hyped people they don't always live up to it well brian you got us a good one you reeled a good one in you got it right into the boat for us because this guy you know he hasn't even played in the nba yet yeah he's played in the summer league fine but he's already made a splash twice of course the first time was he got off he got off plane here in new york city got to america before the draft, and for whatever reason, he threw out the first pitch at the Yankees game. Missed completely. Missed completely. That's news where I'm from. Okay, I listen, I was saying before, it's got to be one of the toughest things to do. I mean, you don't, you only have one chance. It's got to be one of the toughest things to do. But still, you know, when you're under public scrutiny for being an athlete, so that's one. And now two, if you haven't heard it by now, if you haven't heard it by now, uh, his bodyguard, one of his bodyguards, slapped slapped Britney Spears when they were in Vegas going to the restaurant Catch. Now, I've been to Catch in the meatpacking district here, humans. Eh. Eh. Anyway, let's um, let's just hear what Brittany has to say about it. She put this video on her social media like yesterday. So that would be Wednesday the 12th. Hi, so I wanted to share with you guys an incident that happened in Vegas that a lot of people are talking about. And I heard on the news... Um, this radio station talking smack and talking shit, that's why I'm addressing it, um, saying that I deserve to be smacked, security was doing their job and protecting their client. Um, I've been with the most famous people in the world in sync at one time. Girls would like literally throw themselves at them. On my way into the place, actually, I was knocked down by like three 12 year olds trying to get my picture. My security not one time touched them or even came near them. Um, point being is, um, I didn't appreciate the people saying that I deserve to be hit because no woman ever deserves to be hit. I simply tapped him on the back and I was backhanded, hit my face, came back on the floor. My best friend picked me up and held me. And um, I did get an apology um, at my table 30 minutes later, um, but I have yet to receive a public apology. And that's it. That's it. All right. That's it. 
Yes, humans. She, uh, Wimby was walking in to catch in Las Vegas, and Brittany was, uh, you know, running up behind him trying to, to get a picture with him or to say hello. And as she ran up behind him, Wimby's uh, security guard smacked her. It's kind of a backhand thing. I did, I did see a video of it. I don't want to say what gossip website I was on, humans. It's embarrassing enough. Uh, <laughs> you know, but, you know, it did, it did happen. Now, again, Brian, you're not responsible for this, okay? So, you know, but we are, we do wonder, we do wonder. Like I said, though, man, you got us a nice marlin into the boat, you know? We thought we were going to have to wait months for this guy to start making a splash and be part of us having our finger on the pulse. But he's already, he's the entertainment factory. He's an entertainment factory. I mean, <laughs> he could have sent over an appetizer or something, right? You probably have like rock shrimp. Rock shrimp makes everybody happier. Toss some, <laughs> toss some rock shrimp over her way, Wimby. Come on, man. Now the guy's a teenager. He's probably, yeah, let's take a moment here. The guy's a teenager. He's probably being told what to do by like all of these agents and uh, you know, there's everyone's running his life, but him probably in, in some of these, in some of these instances. So who knows? But, uh, that's our girl, Brittany. That's our girl, Brittany. Okay. Humans. So here's the documentary stuff. Yes. Yes. I just watched the Arnold doc. Okay. But before I watched that, I watched the American Gladiators doc, also on Netflix, Muscles to Mayhem or Muscles and Mayhem or something. And let's take the Arnold one aside. Let's just put that aside. Let's put that on a shelf right now. Let's just talk about the American Gladiators. Uh, can we call it an entertainment documentary, please? Not that all documentaries aren't supposed to be entertaining, but... I've just, maybe I'm too much of a Ken Burns guy, okay? Maybe, maybe that's the problem, okay? Maybe I'm just used to, like, a journalist, someone with a journalistic spirit making a documentary. But I guess I, I guess I thought that's what these all were, always were. And maybe that's what documentary films were 10 years ago and later. But now with all these streaming services just trying to get views, they just pump these things out. And they just, there's an inauthenticity. To me, they lack a journalistic spirit. Spirit. Um, so just, just for instance, in the, in the, Muscles to Mayhem, or Muscles and Mayhem, I, I should look up the title, but I just want to keep talking humans. Uh, you know, it's okay, they're telling the history of the American Gladiators. But when I say it's lacking journalistics, the journalistic, a journalistic spirit, it's like they are interviewing these people that to me come across, some of them, some of them, one in particular, they come across not truthful as embellishers, as people that sort of more than bend the truth to me, more than bend the truth. 
now they make the, and they make it entertaining and they move the timeline along. But then it's like my job as the viewer to sit there and say, I don't trust this guy. You know, I don't trust this person. I don't trust this gal, whoever it may be. And I feel like when I'm watching, you know, it's not just Ken Burns's, okay? Take the, take the documentary Icarus or something like that. And I'm just pulling out of the top of my head right now. But when you're watching something and it has like a feel of a truthfulness, it's it's set up where you you feel like you're getting the information very in a very straightforward way and then when someone is made is when someone seems like a liar or seems like a villain or seems like someone who might not be telling you a truth that's also sort of presented to you in a way of like you know take this person for what they're worth and and maybe it's not so much spelled out that's not written on the screen but you're kind of you're that's almost suggested by the way the content and I don't mean content like people pumping out stupid Instagram videos all day. I mean, what the the meat and bones of what moves the documentary along, it, it somehow tells you this, this person's believable, this person's not. And then ultimately you believe in the authenticity and the truthful experience of whatever it is you're watching. Now, again, to praise my main man, Ken Burns, I mean, of course that's what you're going to get. Now, maybe some of that comes with being on PBS. Maybe that, but that's, but why is he on PBS? Because he's, he's, he's accurate. Now he does history. He does old history. He's got the time. He's got the barn. All right. In New York, in New Hampshire, forgive me. But I just think something's lacking with this like documentary race to the moon of like, let's just get them out, pump them out, pump them out. Keep people watching our streaming platform. Keep people watching our streaming platform. And so I watched this American Gladiators thing, and I'm picking on them right now, but it's it's like a million of them these days. And to me, there's just... There's like a... A truthfulness missing. There's a, it's, it's sensational. It's not... It's just... It's, it's, it's more entertainment, you know? It's, do, it's where documentaries meet pro wrestling, and of course, well... What a better one to talk about than the American Gladiators one. But I feel that way about a lot of them. A lot of them are mixing in cartoons now and in different things. And it's just, I mean, again, I guess that helps keep eyeballs on the screen. But I don't want to have to be doing legwork while I'm sitting on my couch and saying, geez, I don't believe this guy at all. And they're not even giving me any hints not to. I just have to make a judgment call on my own. I'm around enough dishonest people day to day in my whole life anyway. Can I watch something where it's presented to me a little bit more straightforward? <clears throat> I don't know. I just to me this feels newer. This feels like this just like pump it out, pump it out, keep making stuff, keep making stuff, and make it sensational, make it entertaining, make it have a splash. Well, no, if it's good enough, even if it's a little bit slower moving and factual. That will grip people. Hello? 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 <laughs> anyway, humans, that's how I feel about that. And you guys know. You guys know I like to unwind and watch a good doc. I love it. Sometimes regular. 
sometimes with a nice brew, sometimes with some cannabis. Various modes of watching documentary films. Again, I would not call a lot of the stuff that's getting pumped out today films. And they don't even package as a film. It's like six episode stuff. Uh, so we are going to get to the Arnold doc, but it's it's... I wanted to put that on a shelf because I don't have as much of that dissatisfaction with this. And why are we talking about Arnold? Well, it's because every year I'm always saying, watch Pumping Iron, watch Pumping Iron, watch Pumping Iron. Get those pecs big. Get that, get that stringer tank. You know, if you can fill out a stringer tank top, you've done some work. I'll tell you right now, human, sitting in this chair... Sitting in this chair in mid-July, I've not done the work this year. That's all right. <laughs> so we'll get to that Arnold. Uh, we'll get to some Arnold in a little bit here. But let's let's just jump right into the listener line. We've got some great listener line stuff today. All right. So uh, this is Truck in Savannah. You know, the other day, noticing how you were kind of sounded a little down on Pandora. I love Pandora. I use it all the time. It's a much better radio app than Spotify. Spotify is great if you're selecting songs, but if you're mindlessly on the job all day, don't want to think about it, much better way to stay in the category of music that you prefer to hear. You know, if I'm bending nails all day long, I might want to have some kind of, you know, just jam music that's continually happening. It's free to use, by the way. If you don't change the station... If you don't thumbs down any songs, you're pretty close to ad-free with the exception of first starting it up. It's much better free service than the Spotify free service. And while I do like picking songs, and we do have a paid Spotify account also, it's really nice to just check out and radio it up. Not everybody is so fortunate to have a locally owned and operated small radio station like 105.3. That's a gem. But it's not always what I want to hear. With Pandora, I can put in the old string cheese incident. And I know I'll get some Spafford and Goose and probably some Jerry Garcia band. And all day long while I'm working, I'll probably harken back to some past positive psychedelic memories. Yeah, it gives me a nice, pleasant day at work. But when I go on to Spotify and try the same radio opportunities and, and, and their format, it's like, you know, five to six songs, no matter what station I put on, before I'm getting into some breathy Ray Montaigne crap I don't want to hear. You know, like if Spotify stepped it up, maybe Pandora would go away, but... I just don't know if they have the algorithm to do it. Their AI isn't there yet. Wow. What a showman. What a showman. He's got a take. You know, he's thoughtful. He's got a take. But then he knows he'll just pepper in one little thing at the end. One little thing at the end to turn the screws on the house. You know, he knows AI is going to get me going. He knows I dislike AI. He knows I have, you know, my producer here at the show is AI for you new listeners, Frizz Beachley, although he's gone missing. We do hope to hear from him soon. Uh, <laughs> thank you for that truck. Thank you for that truck. And you're right. I was, I was down on Pandora when I mentioned that a couple weeks back. And, you know, I guess part of it is I don't know. I don't know. 
in New York, I'm in a bubble. And the few friends that I have left here after the flight of the pandemic, uh, we all seem to have Spotify, you know? And, and I personally, I'll tell you right now, I don't have Pandora on my phone. I may re-download it after the show. Um, but I was curious because that, I, I was curious when I was bringing that up because I just haven't done that in a while. And, you know, I'm always talking about, I was kind of likening it to the technology that's already faded away. The record, the tape, okay, the cassette, <laughs> a short-lived part of music history where people listen to music on their televisions, which, which we've yet to hear about firsthand, but we will not give up. So I was sort of talking about that like it was extinct. And uh, thank you for bringing that up, Truck. And of course, Truck brings up Q105.3 in Savannah Quality Rock. It's locally owned and operated radio station. They're not at the mercy of any conglomerate. And I bet there's more. I bet there's more in the country. If you live, if you live in a town where there's like a local radio station where they play the album version of songs, you know, and they're not at the mercy of these, you know, cumulus broadcasting, clear channel, whatever these radio conglomerates are these days. Uh, let us know. Cause I'm always hyping the queue. I'm always hyping the queue, baby. And, and weirdly enough, we have Q 104.3 here in New York and, and you know, it's, it's commercial. It's, you know, it's, it's it's fun for a for a radio station for a New York station. I've been here long enough where I recognize some of the voices. Like when I rent cars, I usually rent cars on the weekend, so it's the same people talking. I mean, that's kind of fun, I guess. But um, it's 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 owned by a conglomerate. So if you if you live in a town, humans, where you've got one of these, tell, call in, tell us about it. They're fun. But like Truck said, you're not always in the mood for what the queue is playing. I mean, you can probably only listen to the stranger. By Billy Joel so many times. Or Jessica by the Allman Brothers. And I will chime in here, even though I was beaten up on Pandora the other day. And maybe I mentioned this the last time. But, you know, you, you're you right. I was listening to, I was discovering more music that was new to me. When I had my first job here in New York City, I was working at Pfizer's corporate headquarters course one of the drug makers of the infamous vaccine and uh, right there 42nd street and third avenue there they're in new york city global not only not only in new york city but it's the global headquarters for pfizer right there about a six building campus and i worked there in their conference corporate conference center and uh when i worked there i would set up tables, chairs, occasionally speakers and microphones and projectors and things. Although I was a low man on the totem pole, but I'd set up a lot of these rooms by myself. Had a little little miniature tablet laptop thing long before the iPad. And uh I would go into these rooms and if I was working alone or with or with a partner, plug in the laptop to the house speakers in these various conference rooms and let it play. And like Truck said, it's it's more like the radio function. I mean, it is the radio function. It's Pandora. But, you know, I wasn't just going to be walking back to the computer to skip all the time. 
because I was actually working. I needed to get stuff done. And uh, so I was discovering more new music, and it was actually kind of fun. And, of course, there were less ads then. This was I was I was an early adopter to Pandora Humans, Pandora the Music Genome Project, if you remember it being called that. Fall of 2006. But anyway, yeah, you're right. You're right. I'll say it. You're right. Pandora's radio function. Pandora Radio outdoes Spotify's. I, you know, Spotify's radio is sort of repetitive, and I may download Pandora. I wonder if my password's still the same <laughs> for the first seven years tonight. Thank you, truck. Thank you, truck. Now from truck, let's go to. Well, let's stay in Savannah. Let's go to our boy Brandon. And I should mention that, that Trucks and Brendan's are like a week behind because they submitted and then we had the costume contest. So these are kind of a week behind. So if they're kind of referencing things like this just happened last week, that's why, humans. That's why. Okay. Uh, deal with it. Hey, Sid. It's Brendan here in Savannah. Uh, I just listened to your last podcast. Um, we brought up this this strange stick that people have to kind of throw balls with their dogs. And... uh you know, you mentioned me and, and my love for my small dog and, and we have a big dog as well. And, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a notorious dog lover. So I, I've tried out this device. Um, my wife used to have a pet thing business and a lot of, uh, love her clients own these things. And, uh, I'd from time to time go with her and we'd try, you know, tossing the ball at this thing. And then I think, I think we might've actually had one at one point. Um, and it's not my favorite thing because you know I'm more I'm more old school with it. Like I just I just want to pick up that ball and, and toss it with my dog. I feel like it's a the stronger connection. But there are some advantages to this the stick thing, you know. Particularly if you're like you're someone who doesn't like dirt and grime and and saliva, because um, one of the advantages is that you can you can use this thing to pick up the ball. And naturally, when you're, you're tossing a ball playing fetch with a dog, it's going to get slive on it. And that slive is going to get covered in dirt. And the, the ball, especially like a tennis ball, ends up being pretty disgusting. So this is a nice way to kind of not have to touch the ball. And I think the, the shape of this thing, you know, it kind of has like a curve to it. So you can kind of get a good launch with it, you know, without using as much of your strength as throwing it. So it's really, it's really ideal, I think, for like older people, you know, don't want to bend over as much. And they can get a little more force with the toss without, you know, throwing out their shoulder. Um, so who knows? Maybe in my my later years, I'll I'll uh I'll pick one of these up again. But for for the time being, I'm just tossing the dog the ball old school style with my hand. And uh, thinking about dogs, this this brought up kind of a an interesting topic. I think um, at Hideaway Bluffs, like what are what are the dog rules and regulations to hideaway bluff. Can dogs go on the beach? I know a lot of beaches do like an off-season kind of deal where you can take your dog for walks on the beach. Um, I mean, I think the greatest danger of bringing dogs on the beach is a lot of people just don't pick up after their dogs and you don't want a beach that's covered in dog shit. Anyway, it's just something to think about, you know, as as we build this this community is where do dogs stand in this community? And, uh, you know, I'd love to hear from some other pet lovers out there about the dog regulations and also some 
some dog haters what they think about it. Thanks, dude. Thank you, Brendan. What a call. What a call. Now, again, this is probably about two weeks ago. I went to Prospect Park by myself. I was listening to some tunes. I was just kind of doing some deep thinking. I was crushing a few brews. I brought some lunch out there. I had a little bit of cannabis. I was having a great day in, in, in um, this giant meadow. It might even be called the Great Meadow or something like that in Prospect Park. I can't recall it. I'm not going to look it up. Um, and there's a lot of meadows there, but it's a great, great meadow. And <laughs> I saw one of those guys with those long sticks that they have, that people have for, you know, throwing balls to dogs and picking up balls. And I just wondered, like, can we hear from someone that's used one? And well, there's Brendan right on cue, right on cue. And of course, if you remember this person that I was watching, his dog, Later got loose. Well, I shouldn't say he got loose. He was let loose. You know, he was let off the leash. <laughs> Went and disturbed this volleyball game. <sighs> and the guy was trying to do the, like, I'm I'm just casually retrieving my dog. I'm just ca- ca- casually retrieving it. I'm not bothered by this. And he'll listen to me. And it's like, he's not listening to you. And you look like you're trying to not try. You just, you just need to wrangle your dog. Anyway. Thank you, Brendan, for saying I want to hear from the dog lovers out there regarding the rules and regulations of the hideaway. And thank you for also saying you want to hear from the dog haters out there. I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one. Speak up. (laughs) Let your voices be heard. This is a safe place. It's the hideaway. Uh, Wow, this is fascinating. Those sticks. Those... (laughs) Dog sticks. I didn't even consider that, yeah, you don't have to touch a slimy ball. And, Brendan, I really appreciate that, you know, you're a hands-in-the-dirt kind of guy. If you don't mind my saying, you're actually a farmer. Brendan's a farmer. Brendan sells things at the farmer's market in Savannah. Uh, look him up. Gannon Farms. Um... But you're a hands in the I mean, you're a hands in the dirt kind of guy. We've gotten to know you here on the podcast. We we kind of already know that about you. But man, you 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 hit the nail on the head there. There's the connection with the dog. If you own a dog, okay, you should be okay with the saliva, probably. You know, you own a robotic dog if you don't want saliva. I would I would sooner own a real dog than an AI dog. I can tell you that much, humans. But yeah, that's kind of interesting. Like it's, it's this thing, it's this stick. It's like, oh, you can have the dog, but you don't have to, you know, you don't have to touch the dog ball. You can grab this thing. That's so interesting. You do have a more personal connection if you're touching the ball with your hands. Now I can see if it's for the elderly. You don't have to bend over. You can throw it farther. And listen, not everyone grew up playing sports. Not everyone grew up playing baseball. The last time I played organized baseball, it was T-ball at the YMCA in Savannah. That's the last time I played organized baseball. Of course, I played organized on a team. I played baseball in physical education class in middle school. And then we never really played. We never really played baseball or softball in my high school PE. Um, We played, (laughs) played in the church softball game a time or two in high school. Um, but, but organized, 
you know, where you're learning from a coach and getting the fundamentals and, and practicing your throw. The last time I did that was T-ball. So mechanically, you know, my baseball throw is not as good as some guys that you, that you see that, you know, grew up playing. They kind of have those mechanics more. And I, I at least grew up playing a lot of sports, so I, I think I'm a pretty good athlete. But not everyone's a great athlete. So I guess this can spare you the um, the embarrassment of poor throwing out in public to your pup, to your pooch. <laughs> and wouldn't you know it, humans, we are, this is not the last time in this podcast we're going to talk about this long dog throwing stick. So just put that in your back pocket. <laughs> Put that on the back burner, all right? Put a little water in the kettle. Put it on the back burner. Just turn the eye of the stove up a little bit. It'll start whistling later in the cast. It's not the last time we're going to talk about that long dog ball throwing stick. Now, humans, we're going to go to another form of a submission to the listener line, and that is just a traditional email, okay? Of course, you can always submit audio-wise, and the, the easiest way to do that is to record into the voice memo recorder on your smartphone, and then you hit the share button, and then when you hit that share button, you email it to listenerline at sydneyhollishow.com. But, you know, if audio submissions aren't your thing, you can also send a good old-fashioned traditional typed email, okay? Uh, and that's what we've got here. This is from David in Boulder to the listener line. Mr. Strickland in Back to the Future 2 is lighthouse keepering some brown liquor. And he sends a photo. And of course, it's Mr. Strickland from Back to the Future and Back to the Future 2. And it's it's when they're at the high school during the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. And he goes back to his office. And he pours himself some some like whiskey or something into a coffee cup. And there he is, lighthouse keepering, as David put it, some brown liquor. Now, what is lighthouse keepering? If you're new to the show, okay, we have a little thing around here. And it's when you drink alcohol, or I guess any anything, any kind of elixir, any kind of, you know, magical elixir out of a coffee cup or a coffee mug or a mug, you know, I always feel like a lighthouse keeper at the end of a long watch. You know, you've been up there, you're all by yourself. Perhaps it's a little chilly. You've got a, you've got a wool, a thick wool sweater on with one of those thick sweaters that kind of has a turtleneck on it. And you're up there and it's the end of a long watch. You know, maybe you've been up all night and of course you're, you know, you're, you're different hours. You're a lighthouse keeper. So you've, you've been up there. You've, you've kept the ships from the, from the rocks all night long. The sun is cresting in the horizon. It's time for you to get off work. You know, you're winding down. So you pour a little something into your mug. And like I said, it's perhaps a little chilly. Of course, you know the way we drink coffee when we're feeling cozy, when we're looking for that cozy feeling. From those old international coffee commercials, you you hold the mug, the handle with one hand, and you, you cup, 
you cup the cup with the other hand and you bring it in close and you're, you almost, you almost do the sitting or stand, you know, maybe you're standing, maybe you're sitting. If you're sitting, you almost do a little bit of the fetal position. If you're standing, perhaps you're standing confidently, but you're just taking that sip and you're like a lighthouse keeper. You're lighthouse keepering a beer, you're lighthouse keepering a drink. That's what we call it when we have a drink out of a mug. And David, great freaking find, dude. You know, we're always looking for men's blouses here at the show. And again, if you're new, you'll catch on to that. And if you submit a men's blouse and it gets ruled a men's blouse, you get a Sid buck. David, you just stumbled upon something new here. And consider yourself having earned a Sid buck. This is Mr. Strickland and Back to the Future 2. Lighthouse keeper, and I promise you, humans. I glanced at the photo, and then I went on my little, my little rant, my little tell you about how we hold the coffee cup. There he is, double handing it too. He's got one hand on the handle and the other hand cradling the cup. David, great find, humans. I think that's another game we can play around here. If you see someone lighthouse keepering a drink, lighthouse keepering a beer in a movie or a television show. Send it my way. Send it my way. We'll describe it. We'll put it up on the site, David. I'm going to put this photograph up on the site. Of course, your favorite time waster, your favorite time waster, sydneyhollishow.com. Sure, you could waste your life on Instagram or Twitter or threads or Facebook. You'll never get off. You will never get off. It's designed to keep you on there. You think, oh, I'm just doing this in line. And then when I get to the cash register, I'll stop. You won't stop. You'll go home and you'll keep going. And if you do it at home, you'll join the commercials, you'll start missing your show. I don't do that. Your favorite time waster, SydneyHollisShow.com, it has an end. There's only so much there. And it's not just crammed together little two-second things after two-second things. It's just something you can have a look at and then move on. It's like being in a museum. Go have a look and then move on down the hallway or leave the museum. I don't want to suck you in, but it's a place for us to waste a little time once in a while. We all want to waste a little time on the Internet when we're at work. And that can be where you do it. I doubt any of your companies, <laughs> you know, have outlawed SydneyHollisShow.com the way they will, the way they may do with YouTube, the way they may do with gambling websites. In my own experience, and of course, speaking of lighthouse keepering drinks, lighthouse keepering beers, lighthouse keepering wine, whatever you want, a lighthouse keeper. The people who participated in the Sydney Hollis Show uh, Summer Mixer, okay, the Summer Movie con Audio Costume Contest last week, they all got, they're all going to get, they've all been awarded, they have not received them yet, Sydney Hollis Show Yeti Mugs, 14-ounce Yeti Mugs. Well, guess what, humans? I ordered more than just the ones needed to give to the winners. What does that mean? It means... You can join the Mug Club Brewery officially. These mugs will be available for purchase. There aren't many. There aren't many. They will go fast. If you're interested in getting a mug, okay, 
It's a great way to support the show. They're priced so that you're supporting the show. Now, Yeti mugs aren't cheap, all right? But I don't believe in doing things halfway. I believe in doing things top of the line, you know? I buy a bicycle once in a while. When I buy a bicycle, I'm going to buy a bicycle that's going to last. I'm not going to just give you some crappy-ass insulated mug from Custom Tees or whatever. No, we're going after the best of the best around here. So they're not cheap, okay? They're not cheap. And for me to turn a little profit on them costs a little bit of money too. Well, Sid, why are you trying to talk me out of this? I'm not talking you out of it. I'm talking you into it. I'm just saying, hey, a lot of people have asked, how can I support the show? How can I support the show? When are you going to have advertisers? When are you going to join Patreon? Well, I just want to do with I just want to do things a different way. And so these mugs will be priced in a way fair, fair, but where you're supporting the show. And you're getting the quality of the show, you're joining the mug club, and you get a fantastic product in a Yeti mug. So humans, they are still in the production process. But if you're interested in getting one, email me listener line at sydneyhollishow.com and I'll lay out the specs. These are 14 ounce Yeti quote unquote coffee mugs. 14 ounce so you can fit a 12 ounce beer in there. You can fit a nice heavy wine pour in there. You can fit a nice cocktail or as David put it, some brown liquor in there. Okay? We can all lighthouse keep or something. And here's the great thing about an insulated coffee mug too. You know, I'm, I'm a beer drinker. You guys know this about me. But around the holidays, I like a little bit of eggnog. I like my eggnog cold. So when I'm lighthouse keepering eggnog around the holidays, what's better than an insulated mug? I also like warm beverages in the holidays. Mold wine, of course, a Hollis family favorite. Wassel which is kind of like an apple cidery mixed with uh, rum type, also spiced warm drink. Keeps it hot. Anyway, humans, email me, listener line, at sydneyhollishow.com if you're interested in getting a mug and joining the mug club. What? What a world. A physical representation of you being a member of a club in the imaginary world where we all break bread. And of course, while you will have your mug here in the physical world, okay, here in the physical world, here in the phenomenal world, in the nominal world, in the noumenal world, in our imaginary world, your mug club, your mug, it hangs above the bar at Mug Club Brewery. And when you walk in, the bartenders know exactly which one is yours, and they pull it down for you. And of course, of course you get a discount. (laughs) Because it's a mug club brewery. We all know those places. And we we have one. And oh my God, speaking of the hideaway. So so humans, listener line at sydneyhollishow.com if you want to get yourself a mug. So... I didn't answer Brendan's freaking question. Forgive me. Are dogs allowed on the beach at Hideaway Bluffs? <sighs> Great 
great question, Brendan. And when you submitted it, I wasn't qualified to answer, and I didn't even know that yet. I think there should be a section for dogs. I think there should be a section for dogs. If you want to have your dog on the beach, dog off leash. All right? You can have a whole section. It's far. It's far. It's nowhere near. It's like the other side. You know, if you're if you're if your back's to the water, then you're looking at the hideaway, the bar that started it all. To the left of that is hideaway bluffs. High rise luxury condominiums. And the first floor of Hideaway Bluffs is Mug Club Brewery. Okay. Again, this is with our back to the water. If we keep going to the left, then kind of behind us to there is Hideaway Bluffs Marina. And then further, further beyond that, with some nice with a nice beach, a nice beach, you know, somehow Marina turns into beach. You know, where where however that transition is made is Hideaway Bluffs Beach Club. So again, with your back to the water, if you're looking at the hideaway, the bar that started it all, far down to the right, far down to the right, this is with your back to the water, far down to the right is where the, the dog beach is, dog beach. And you know what? They can be off leash in the morning. That's it. Not at night. And then dog beach, you dog beach, you can <laughs> you can have your dog on the beach, but it has to be leashed after nine thirty a.m. And and of course you have to pick up, but there's a massive, massive fine <laughs> if you don't pick up after your dog. And that's that. Your dog has to be you. You can have your dog off leash on dog beach before nine thirty, and then after nine thirty, your dog has to be on leash. At Dog Beach. And why is that? Because I'm around unleashed dogs all the time and they're unruly. And I don't want an unleashed dog <laughs> on Dog Beach making its way to where I'm having a good time. Trying to have a nice a nice frozen cocktail with the whirling of the drink machines in my ears. And the, 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 the ocean spray breaking right out in front of me here at, here at, you know, here at the hideaway oceanfront bar. I don't want some freaking dog running up unleashed. I don't want it. So there you have it. Thank you for asking, Brendan. Now, why was I not qualified to answer that until a few days ago, humans? Well, I had a little experience. I had an unexpected experience, if you can believe it. This, you know, as you know, I try to go to the beach every weekend in the summer. Just try to do it. Yeah, you got two days. Sometimes you take a long weekend. You got three days. Last weekend, I decided I would go to Sandy Hook, New Jersey. Now, there's another Sandy Hook where a mass shooting took place. That's in Connecticut. This is Sandy Hook, New Jersey. It's part of the same national park as the national park on the barrier island of Rockaway, which is called Fort Tilden. It's the New Jersey uh, accompaniment to the national park where Fort Tilden is. And they're both called Gateway National Park, and I never understood why. And then someone recently told me, it's like, well, those two barrier islands, Rockaway and Sandy Hook, those are like the entrance to the harbor. 
you know, you go through those, and eventually you go through the Verrazano Narrows, and of course we know after that it's the Statue of Liberty. And um, so there, there were uh, forts on either Barrier Island, and that's why there's Fort Tilden, and the one over here is called Fort Han- the one over in San Diego is called Fort Hancock, and that way they could bombard any enemy ships that were going to try to make their way into the harbor. So I always wondered, why were they both called Gateway National Park? Now I know, humans. So I'd always heard of the beach over there, and I'd never gone for it. And I'd always heard that the ferries runs at very specific times, and it's more expensive. And finally I said, enough's enough, i got to give it a whirl. So I went last week, brought my bike on the ferry, very fun, bigger ferry, $50 round trip if you go at the peak time. If you want to get up very, very early on your weekend, which I didn't feel like doing this time, you can save 20 bucks. Nevertheless, $50 round trip, well worth every penny. And, and it, the, the, the other ferry that goes to Rockaway is $8 round trip. I mean, come on. And it used to be $5.50 round trip until this year, human. So $8 is a pretty big jump. Nevertheless, took the ferry out to Sandy Hook, New Jersey. Beautiful Barrier Island, huge, huge. There's all these beaches, and the person that told me to go was like, "You got to bring your bike. You got to explore all the different beaches. You got to check it out. It's huge." And I was like, "Cool, I will do that." So I got on my bike and I was riding around, and I saw another cyclist, and he kind of gave me like a wave, and I was like, "Hey, where, where's like the coolest beach over here, man?" Where, I don't even know where to go. Like The park ranger gave me a map when I got off the ferry with my bike. He's like, oh, you got to go to this one way, 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 way down on the southern end. You actually leave the national park, and then it's on the very tip, but it's the coolest beach, man. It's the coolest beach. He goes, it's where all the cool kids go, and you can smoke weed because there's no cops. He goes, I'm going there later. And I was like, hmm, I like going where the cool kids go. I like smoking weed. I don't want to be around cops ever when I'm at the beach. Sounds fun. But I don't want to leave the National Park. I am I want to experience the National Park. So I ended up kind of riding around on some paths they had. And at that point, I was very hungry. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to beach hop. I'm going to go to one beach. I'm going to have a couple brews, have my sandwich, get, my, get myself straightened out. Because I was feeling a little crazed for not eating. And uh, this was about noon at this point, humans. And I had... You know, a vicious morning trying to get up and get ready for the beach. And I had to bike so fast to get to the ferry. You know, you know, you know, a story as old as time. Just in panic mode. And then burned a lot of calories in panic mode and probably didn't eat enough the night before. So I went to this one beach. And it seemed pretty popular. Like, like it seemed like one of the more popular ones. And I'd heard of it before. And I was like, okay. I was like, I guess I'll just go here first, although I'm kind of craving more nature, just being a little bit more by myself or something. And so I I go to this area, and they have uh, big bathrooms and, like, like freshwater showers to shower off on. There's a place to rent umbrellas and chairs and a place to lock your bike and everything. So I did all that, and it said, like, absolutely no alcohol. And I'm like, well, every beach says that. You just got to keep it in a cup, which was the case. And I'm walking out there, and I saw a sign and said, you may encounter nude sunbathers. And I was like, oh, right. And I already knew this, actually, humans. I already knew this going into this. That I knew there was a nude beach out there. 
And I go to a topless friendly beach all the time. Easy enough for me, right? I, I'm male. <laughs> I identify as male. My shirt's always off at the beach. Um, not, not body shaming anyone. I'm just saying it's very easy to be a guy and have your shirt off at the beach. You're not taking much of a risk. Anyway. Um, so I was like, oh, yeah, there's a nude beach out here. I don't want to go to a nude beach because I feel like you kind of have to be nude if you're going to go to a nude beach or you're sort of like breaking the code or sort of coming across like a, like a voyeur or something, you know, it's just like, ah, that's not for me. So I saw that sign and I was like, well, I'm not going to the nude beach. They must just tell you that like here, but maybe this is like where the nude beach is, but they go further down. I was like, it must just be further down. I really didn't believe it was where I was going. And humans, this was a long walk from where the area was where I locked my bike on loose sand. They had one of those like blue rugs. I don't know if you have those in your beach area, but they have these blue rugs up here sometimes that make it easier to walk across loose sand. Dude, I'm not kidding. It was like 400 yards of walking on this blue rug. So I'm walking, 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 walking. It looks packed. There's umbrellas just everywhere. And I'm like, man, this is just not my scene today. I was like, I'm going to go here quickly. It's not going to be quick. It's a long-ass walk. But I'm going to go here. I'm going to eat, have a few brews, and I'm going to find like a more like really like secluded beach. Well, I start walking. (laughs) Get two-thirds down this magic carpet thing. Everyone's kind of like on a little pilgrimage because everyone's on it, you know. And then there's this dude, spread eagle, sitting next to a sign that says, no voyeurism, nude beach. And I'm like, wow, that guy's confident. I I mean, I guess it's legal out here, but he's not at like the regular nude spot. And then I keep walking. And as I get closer to where all these umbrellas are, I'm like, holy shit, everyone's naked. Like, everyone's naked. When I say everyone's naked, I'm like, oh my God. There's like 70% of the people out here, maybe more, don't have clothes on. I was like, oh, oh shit. Well, I don't want to turn back now. Such a long walk. And I'm like, whatever, dude. I was like, just get to the water's edge. Get to the water's edge. Hang a left. So, again, like, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be in their party, you know, it just wasn't my jam, and I didn't want to be, like, that guy. And uh, there were some people with clothes on, but I mean, I mean, well over 70% nude. So, (laughs) and a lot more dudes than ladies, but plenty of ladies. So I hit the, I hit the sand, and I make an immediate left. And like I said, it was freaking packed. I mean, packed. This is July, but still... And I start walking, and I get past a sign that says, leaving the guarded area. And so I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm not going to be near the lifeguards anymore. I don't want to be around. I don't like swimming near lifeguards anyway. Um, you know, I don't try not to be too risky, but I just, I enjoy being able to swim out as far as you want or be in rough water and not have someone whistling at you. And just, I don't like being around authority when I'm at the beach. I want to just be free. Or so I thought. So anyway, I start walking down. I start walking down, and after I got it out of the guarded area, it was pretty thin, crowd-wise. And I passed some naked people, and passed some naked, and then I started to pass more clothed people. And people were really spread out. So I kept walking and kept walking, 
And I got to where I was about 40 yards past the closest person, down this, felt like a peninsula, you know, barrier island. And so I'm like the furthest person down this beach. And there's New York City off in the distance. And the beach is kind of thin where I was. I set up my chair like 10 feet from the water's edge. And I was all by myself out here, humans. And I tossed on some Jimmy Buffett. I popped open my Pringles. I grabbed my sandwich. I had a couple of brews. I had a smoke. And I was like, I don't know what the deal is out here. I was like, I've always heard the cops are a little more worrisome here about the alcohol. And there was like, you know, no alcohol signs everywhere. But I was like, this is fucking awesome. And well, humans, <laughs> the little voice said to me after about 30, 45 minutes, maybe an hour, I said, no one's out here, dude. When in Rome? And the only people that had walked by me while I was way far on this edge were naked. And they just walked by the way people walk on the beach. And then they'd walk by the other direction once they made it however far down there they were going and then coming back. And I was like, what do I care if they see me naked? I've already seen them naked. Not that it's, you know, whatever. And I was like, when have I ever had the sun on my butt cheeks for more than like 30 seconds in my life? And that would be like peeing outside when like no one's around or something. I was like, should I? Should I? I was like, who's here? Well, humans took off the trunks, took off the trunks, had to put sunscreen on my sensitive areas, which felt a little weird. You know, I didn't want people to think I was, uh, you know, masturbating, but I needed to put sunscreen in sensitive areas <laughs> and my butt cheeks, which is just funny to be like rubbing your butt cheeks in public. Again, I wasn't very much in public. I was very much by myself. And uh, did about two hours like that. Humans tried to fade the tan lines a little bit, which also made me feel sad because I've always been so proud of my stark tan lines. I was like, wow, Sid, you may never get this virgin skin back. And once it's, Seen the sun at me. You know, you can like, you, know, you look at my milky white thighs, humans, and you can see the blue veins. I was like, what if that goes away? This is almost bittersweet, but fun. And um, eventually after about two hours, there was kind of some clothed people walking around and I was, felt a little exposed. And then, uh, <laughs> as does happen. The clouds kind of came overhead, and it got a little chilly. And I was like, well, I need, to, I need to put on my long sleeve kind of beach hoodie thing. And I was like, I don't feel like going shirt, no pants, although I sleep that way in the wintertime. Uh, but, <laughs> and I did see several people that did shirt, no pants, I guess because they were chilly, but they still wanted to say, hey, I'm a nudist or something. I don't know. Uh, and these were all people that walked by me, you know. I didn't go <laughs> cruising, humans, <laughs> by any by any meaning of the word. So I put on my trunks, and I put on my beach hoodie. And like I said, I was taking down a few beers. I had some water, too. And, you know, you're at the beach. You want to take a dip once in a while. Like I said, before, when I was swimming and taking a swim to pee or whatever, I was just swimming nude the few times I got in. But then once it got cloudy and kind of chilly... You know, I got dressed, but then I was like, hey, why do I want to jump in 
and then get my bathing suit wet and then come sit here and be a little chilly in a wet bathing suit, which is what I've done every time I've gone to the beach up here. I was like, let me peel off the suit. Of course, take off the hoodie, peel off the suit, hop in. Then when I dry off, I put on a nice dry bathing suit. The function, humans, was unbelievable. The sheer function. Now, how does this relate back to Brendan's dog beach? Well, it was nice to have a section of the beach for non-clothed people. Now, I wouldn't say I'm hooked. I wouldn't say I'm addicted. I would probably do it again. It's something I would probably do by myself or may, you know, may, maybe maybe with a closest friend or something. But um, I enjoyed the solitude of it. It was something uh, fun about it. Uh, so, you know, that had its place that had its section, I guess dog beach can have its section. You dog people can hang out on dog beach together. So anyway, (laughs) I don't even know if I was planning on telling you guys that humans, but when I started thinking about a sectioned off beach, well, it just, just flew right out of me. And I do want to go back to Sandy Hook and I do want to try some of the other beaches and not necessarily, I, I, now I'm like befuddled. I'm like, is the whole thing nude or is it just that one? Because I just, I kind of want to just, I, my my dream is to find a beach with like no one on it. And I don't give, I don't give a damn if I'm clothed or not. I just want to be like alone on the beach kind of vibe with nature. It was the, the amount of solitude I had the other day was insane. And the sand there, there's a reason they call it a Sandy Hook. It was great sand. So humans, we're in the long haul today. You know, I was trying to squeeze this all into one hour. Of course, I got carried away with my my nude beach. I wouldn't call it bragging. I wouldn't call it bragging at all. My nude beach experience. We still have to get to one more listener line, humans. Okay? So let's jump in. And again, if you'll remember from the costume contest last week, I was like, hey, we're only going to get a portion of Pat's call here because he has a regular call, and I'm going to push that back to last week. So we heard Pat's costume last week, but this was the first half of that call. Take it away, Pat in Chicago. Sydney, it's Pat from Chicago. It's been a long time. Listen, I just listened to the episode from June 16th. And I, you know, heard a few things there that I wanted to respond to. Granted, you guys have been several episodes ahead, but, uh, you know, you're pretty good at weaving it all together. Um, Okay, so here's where we're at. I did have a bike named Mr. Fabulous. It was a great bike. It was a Schwinn Crosscut that I bought from a retired police detective. When I first moved back to New York after college, 2005, it served me well for well over a decade. The frame cracked. It was time to replace it. I have not named any of my bikes since Mr. Fabulous. Not really intentional, but, um, you know, that's just the way it works. Sometimes you feel inspired to name a bike. And he was named after... Mr. Fabulous, the horn player that played with uh, the Blues Brothers band. If anyone recalls the movie The Blues Brothers, he said you'll never get Mr. Fabulous back. He's pulling down five figures a week at the the Chaise Lounge, the fancy French restaurant. 
And uh, that name was an homage to him. Anyway, this is a bit of a rant. Feel free to edit as you like. The next thing is Kunish, I should say, Andrew from Tampa's recommendation for you to start an apparel line, a fashion line, a men's blouse apparel line. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I think that that's probably uh, a really good idea. I think it's one that you could probably get off the ground, you know, being in New York, having access to uh, artists and people that are within the industry. We have the garment district. We have the Fashion Institute, there's plenty of students that are looking to get real-world experience. Um, I think you maybe start down that path. And in terms of a brand name, just spitballing here, you know, we've seen the likes of uh, Tommy Bahama. We've seen a Panama Jack. We have a Maui Jim. I don't see why we can't have a Savannah Sid. And quite frankly, I think the world needs a new take on some of those brands that I mentioned, you know, a fresh take, someone that's young and up and coming like yourself, Savannah Sids, think about it, sleep on it, see how it goes. So of course, humans, we did talk about naming bicycles, uh, the other day and I explained that I had a bike named Tom Cruise and then I had a bike named Keith Urban. My current bike doesn't really have a name. And Pat came out. He came out. He said, the person that Andrew in Tampa, that Andy in Tampa was talking about when he said a listener here has a bike named Mr. Fabulous, it's it's Pat. Pat came out. He said, that's me. (laughs) And he's like, you know, sometimes the mood, sometimes you're in the mood to name a bike. Sometimes you're not. And I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And you know what's also interesting about that is like, have you ever been around those people that their bike has a name? Or, or this really goes for you motorists. You know, people just start introducing themselves as that. You know, if you drive. I guess if you drive at all, but especially if you own a car. Hey, I, I'm I'm sitting. I'm a motorist. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I, I don't really consider myself a motorist. I mean, I rent a car. I rented a car a couple weekends ago. But uh, try that on for size when you're at a cocktail party or something, humans. You know, don't sell yourself short. You know, when people say, what are you? What do you do? What, what, do, you, what do you do? You know, people always say what they do for work or they say where they went to college or they say where they grew up or they say like their favorite hobby. Don't forget don't forget, a lot of you are motorists. Don't sell yourself short. Introduce yourself as a motorist. Mark that down in your bios. <laughs> motorist. Anyway, this goes for motorists especially. Uh, when there's these, these people that they name their car, but then they talk about it as if everyone knows that. Like, they'll talk about it. Like, okay, let's say your closest two friends in the whole world know that you call your car Blueberry. You know? Fine. 
You want to say I'm going to hop in Blueberry and I'll be right over? Or, uh, where did I park Blueberry? And you're out there with your clicker looking like an idiot in a parking lot at Target or something? Fine. But it really chaps my ass when people like that. Because I already think it's weird. But when people like that, then they like they like talk about it in mixed company. Like where there's other people that don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I can't find my car. I need to get in my car. I took my car to the garage. But they'll just say, I took Blueberry to the garage. And they don't give any context. And it's up for you, the outsider, to figure it out. Or someone else who's like realizes this is strange and uncomfortable to say, oh, you know, Shannon calls her car Blueberry. Or Trent calls his car Blueberry. You know, then someone has to let them off the hook. But they just act like it's such a thing. Like it's such a thing. Like, oh, I just, you know, that's just what I do. Oh, yeah. Oh, whoops. I'm so used to doing it. I don't even realize I do it. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Sure. So I can admire, and I similarly, my current bike doesn't have a name. I'll name a bike if it comes, if it if it, if it matters. But I... I I rarely would use the name because, again, along from like aside from like my closest possible friends, who would ever know? Who would I ever say it to in a way where I'm not constantly explaining it? <laughs> and to address the men's blouse line, Savannah, Sid, I think we're onto something here. You know, Andy brought it up. Now Pat's seconding it. Pat's naming it. Tommy Bahama. Panama Jack, Maui Jim. Boy, there's something about Maui Jims. I want to own a pair of Maui Jims one day. <laughs> I th- I think we're getting there. Because I got, when I said I had a little beach hoodie thing on the other day, humans, I got one of those things that's not super stylish, but it's very functional. I got one of those like wicking material 50 SPF um, sun shirts that are like flowy, you know, you get it a little bit big. I got it at Ron John's, the Ron John's in Ocean City, New Jersey. And it's like a white little beach, you know, it's a sun hoodie. And I got it because like, even though it's meant to be cool, to me, it's still a little warmer than just being bare chested. So put it on at the, at the end of the day, or God forbid, I start to get sunburned and I don't want to reapply. Toss that thing on. They're not they're not stylish. You kind of you scream tourist, you scream I've given up on fashion if you wear those. But yet sometimes I just like good old fashioned function. But I think you're right, these things could use a fresh take. And we're so into men's blouses around here. So there may be something to that. And of course we're we're now really, really going head first into a trend here. With Lighthouse Keepering and being a part of the Mug Club. Of course, email listener line at Sydney Hollis Show. Email listener line at Sydney Hollis Show.com for details about how to join the Mug Club yourself. So, humans, Pat had one more call. Pat snuck one in. So, let's give this a listen and address it. Sydney, it's Pat from Chicago. I'm listening to one of your shows now. What are we talking about e-bike fires? Obviously, it's uh, very important when it comes to 
public safety to not have fires spontaneously happening in anywhere. Having said that, I have to feel that like, I don't have to feel, but uh, I feel like your disdain, you may have some disdain for e-bikes in general, which is maybe causing you to focus in on this a little bit more. No judgment, just curious if that's the case. And I'll just share, I've had some uh, disdain for e-bikes as someone that likes to just push the pedals with the power of my legs and enjoy doing that. I say, e-bikes, I mean, give me a break. Especially when you got people that are trying to be hardos on them. Uh, and then you got people that are taking them on like mountain biking trails and thinking they're great. No, no, no. However, my perspective is starting to shift. Um, as we get a little bit older, you know, um, I think it's great to push it on the regular bike. Um, and maybe it's whatever age you're at or whatever level you're at. An e-bike allows you to go a longer distance with less, less effort, less energy, which can be very conducive for the right occasion. You know, you want to go tool around with a friend 20, 30 miles and not really sweat all your clothes out, but, you know, an e-bike is great for that. So I really think they have a time and a place. Um, or you're in a traveling to a mountain town and you want to go see some sights, but all the elevation and the climbing, like, you're just not in shape, giving everyone in your party to kind of do it. And you can kill, do it yourself, but, you know, you'd prefer to kind of take it nice and easy. An e-bike's a good option. Um, you know, then I was talking to a guy that was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to go meet someone 25 miles away and I'm going to take my e-bike. But because I'm going to meet someone for a drink, I didn't want to necessarily ride my bike and sweat. So I'm going to go meet someone for a date. And otherwise I'd be taking my car, but the e-bike allows me to go a longer distance. And I appreciated it from that standpoint too. So I think they have their place. Just wanted to share. That's it. Uh, one more point on the notion of lawmakers and an idea of public safety I heard, and I don't know if it's true, this is pure hearsay, I heard that some politician or lawmaker or just a advocate of the people in New York is trying to outlaw coal fire pizza ovens, um, which, you know, there's, there's a handful or so of great coal fire pizza ovens in New York. Coal fire pizza is a great way to cook pies. It's a classic old school way. Trying to outlaw it because it's bad for the environment. I would love to get your thoughts on that movement. You know, is that real? Is that happening? Is anyone talking about it? And what do you think? Is that worth our time? Is that where we need to focus our effort? Thank you. Pat from Chicago signing out. Another great call. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, Pat. Wow. A little bit to uh, talk about here in a great way. Not that it's not that it's never great, you know. Be it e-bikes, coal oven pizzas, or Wemby, you know. People are reeling in some great marlins and throwing them right in here in the boat for us to take a look at. E-bikes. Yes, you did, Pat, and maybe other listeners, sense some disdain. You know, I... The, 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 the sheer fact that we're having so many e-bike e battery fires here in this town is frightening. But let's put that on the shelf for a second and say that, yes, as a cyclist, as a regular cyclist, sometimes I'm like, ugh, these e-bikes. 
And let me chop that in two really quick. And just say, for the purposes of this question today, we're just going to talk about the that feeling that regular cyclists get about e-bikes. Uh, let's just rule out the fact that there's a lot of people that ride e-bikes in this town like maniacs and make it way more dangerous to be a cyclist for a variety of reasons. But let's just get, let's just get to kind of more where Pat was coming from. And that's like, Hey, as a regular cyclist, yeah, sometimes, you know, just this morning I'm climbing the Williamsburg bridge on my way to work. And I've been, like I said, I've been watching Le Tour. So I'm kind of like into, you know, the zippiness of the bike lately. And humans, for what it's worth, I just watched the Wham! documentary on Netflix. And so I was listening to a little Wham! I was listening to a little bit of Wake Me Up Before You Go Go. Um, So I was in a zippy mood. And I was sort of drinking water out of my water bottle while I was climbing the bridge. And then as I was cresting the top, I put my water bottle back in the cage and I was shifting through the gears to go from climbing into uh, cruising and then, you know, just good old fashioned flying. And as I was doing that, this e-bike like passed me pretty close. Like he could have gone further out to the side. Passed me pretty close, and it was one of those new ones with the really fat, knobby tires that would be like, you know, if you didn't have a battery, it would be a really poor choice to ride around a city in, in terms of efficiency. Now, there's potholes and stuff around here, so sometimes you wish you were on a mountain bike, but this is one of those ones where it's it's wider than even the tires on a fat bike. You know, and they're knobby. I mean, they're just very inefficient. And this guy's just cruising along. And then I was like, you know what? I said, don't have an attitude about it. Because he had passed me. I was like, who cares? Teach their own. Again, the guy's going to get to work a lot less sweaty than me. Uh, and I was like, well, might as well just draft behind the guy. And then just did that thing that everyone, you know, motorists have complained about for years. Where someone, like, passes you. And they're just not going that fast. And I'm like man, I could have drafted behind this guy, but now he's going slow. And then I was like, well, I'm just going to smoke him, you know? And I was kind of in that mood anyway, hence, you know, because of the wham. And so I just start crushing it. And then I just have this feeling of glee. Like I've just like flying down the bridge so much faster than this e-bike. And again, so much of that is just internal, this competition that maybe this guy wasn't even a part of. So it is, there is something inside me and maybe us that's a little unhealthy in that way uh and you know you just turn you turn your nose up you're like ugh, especially when an e-biker passes you and you're just doing the work you're doing the work you're riding up a bridge and then someone flies past you and you're like gd gd but like the complicated human being that i am i'm coming around to it too there are certain times where they're fun. City bike, you know, our bike share program has e-bikes now. And they now have these newer ones. And the new ones are zippy. And while sometimes I want to, like, you know, <laughs> curse someone out that's riding the wrong day, wrong way down a bike lane or that's, like, going, like, three wide down a narrow bike path on a bridge on an e-bike that's trying to, like, kill me, a traditional cyclist... 
uh, you know, it drives me crazy. When I get on those things, man, I want to haul ass too. And Pat, you pointed out a great point, which is that you can go, you know, longer distances for less effort, but you can also go longer for faster. You can essentially ride at a comfortable pace aerobically that's, that's like you're at a sprint the entire time. So those do have their place. And I mean, I'd rather that than more cars on the road. Sorry, motorists. But yeah, they definitely they definitely have their place. I'm definitely coming around on them. Um, and for instance, one really, really served me well when I went when I rented a car about two weeks ago. And why is that? Well, maybe like where you live in New York City, the cheapest rental cars are always at the airports. And you know, here our public transportation's not great for getting to the airports. I mean, it's, it's okay for getting to JFK, but JFK is so far away, at least for me. And LaGuardia, LaGuardia it's not great. You can't take a train. You got to take buses and stuff. It's just like, it's a hassle. So then what do you end up doing? You end up like paying for a taxi or an Uber. And then you kind of get stuck in traffic to go get a car. And of course it costs you like $35, if not more. To then go rent a car, which is going to be hundreds of dollars. So what I've done in the past, humans, is I'll bike to the rental car places that are right near LaGuardia. And then I'll lock up my bike, you know, to a signpost next to the rental car lot. I'll go get the bike, go get the car. And then I don't have quick release quick release wheels on my bike. So I don't have to bring a wrench with me and take off the wheels. And it would just be a hassle. This time... I rented a city bike, one of the new electric ones, and I looked up the closest dock to LaGuardia, to the rental car place, and, you know, it just, it saved me the hassle of having to take apart my bike, and because it was one of these crazy fast ones, which sometimes are dangerous, but it got me there lickety-split, lickety-split, you know, I rode at a sprinter's pace, the whole time while just being at an average pace aerobically. And it was great. And it only cost me 10 bucks and I didn't get stuck in any traffic. I still had a 13 minute walk, give or take a minute from the closest uh, rental dock to the airport rental car place. But all in all, not bad. And so in that way, I praise these machines I just don't want to die in a fire of one <laughs> of someone charging a counterfeit battery below me. But, uh, you know, this, this brings up one other thing. And, and I think Pat can relate to this. I think he and I have had a conversation about this before. But if we haven't, and again, I've, I've been wanting to talk more about cycling on this podcast. Is that our cities are really letting us down when it comes to biking options and the airport. Sure, eight times out of ten, you're traveling with, like, stuff where you maybe... I don't even know if it's eight times out of ten. But a lot of the time when you're traveling, you can't bike. You can't bike because you got you got a lot of stuff. But sometimes you're going on a little weekend trip, man. You get one of these modern duffel bags that you can wear like a book bag, like a backpack. Toss that on your back. And then if you had somewhere to lock your bike... Or take a bike share, you wouldn't need to take a st- waste money on a taxi. 
Or like, you know, if you fly from JFK around here, if you have a flight in the morning, you have to get up so early to then get the train way out there and then take the air train. It's like, we just, we don't, not that we don't prioritize it. We don't have cycling is any kind of an option to get to our airports or to leave our airports. And okay, well, Sid, hello. If they had bike racks there, then like a terrorist could like lock up their bike next to the airport with a bomb inside and like blow up. I'm not saying it has to be right there at the airport. You know, my little 13 minute walk to the airport rental car place, which they're, they're not right next to each other. The airport and the LaGuardia rental car places, not bad. So if you want to have it kind of far away so that you're, you know, some terrorists can't blow up an airport, fine. Or if you just want to have bike share that's closer by, you know, but something, I mean, it's just crazy. It's just crazy to think how light I travel sometimes. And then I still have to shell out like at least 35 bucks each way for a taxi. When I, when it, when it could be, I mean, again, this, I might try this trick at some point, but it's going to be a little trickier to like walk, walk <laughs> into LaGuardia, the airport, as it is to walk to the fringe rental car places. Uh, but I mean, does anyone know about this? Are we making progress on this? Is anyone else frustrated by this? Thank you, Pat. Okay, humans. Arnold. I watched the Arnold doc. I didn't want to. I really didn't want to. I was like, I've seen Pumping Iron. I'm already frustrated with the way documentaries are these days. I just don't trust. I don't trust what they're going to do with the material. What more do I have to learn about the governor? And I found parts of it interesting. I think he had a lot, lots of say in, when, in what went into it, seemingly. Or maybe the documentarian was just, I mean, I guess if it was just sort of autobiographical. So it just, again, maybe lacked a little bit of journalistic uh, spirit. But maybe you can only do that about a dead person. I don't know. You know, I guess if a living person is telling their own story, they're going to have some bias. Um, but here was my big takeaway. Is that. He's a man in conflict. I talked about conflict earlier, and I thought I would bring it up more and more throughout the show when I was picturing it in my mind. But he seems like a man in conflict. You know, on one hand, for much of his life, he was one of the strongest and biggest people around. Yet, he kind of, in, talk, in the way he talks, in the way he acts so macho, you can tell that it eats at him, that he feels as vulnerable as any other person. And there's just certain things, you know, if you've ever seen Pumping Iron, like I say, try to watch it in January, get those beach bodies ready. It didn't help me this year, though. You know, he's kind of trying to manipulate Lou Ferrigno and Lou Ferrigno's dad. And he's, he's sort of being uh, a little bit of a bully. And you kind of see that side of him in Pumping Iron. And he lets a little bit more of that go in this. Now, he does justify it some, saying he had a tough up, upbringing. You know, came from a, from a tough household, a tough father. But he doesn't seem like someone who's dealing with his feelings, let's say. And 
you know, he's very, he's very macho. And, um, you just get a couple of glimpses at it, you know, you know, he's not always a good sportsman, you know, sportsmanship. Now, sometimes I think sportsmanship's uh, dying, but the way he talks about bodybuilding in the beginning and how they're kind of all in it together and like backstage, you're helping each other pump up, you're putting the oil on your fellow competitor. It feels like there's a lot of sportsmanship within that. But then he kind of talks about playing, you know, some tricks too. And I just, I, it just, he comes across as a poor sportsman sometimes to me. And, you know, for someone who's so macho, who seems to have it all, when we were laughing about that Stogies video from before. Rick, the way I got into smoking Stogies, it's very simple. I went home with Maria in 1977 when I met her at the tennis tournament. I went home with her to meet her parents in Hyannisport. And there, her father, after dinner, pulled out a cigar, lit it up. Then he gave one to his son, then to the other son, and to some other people. And he said to me, do you want a cigar? And I said, ah, I don't know how to smoke a cigar. He says, well, try it, because after dinner, everyone ought to have a cigar. So I tried it. Well, the rest is history. I'm still smoking Stogies. I love it. And he introduced me to something really good. And I know now the next question. Knowing you, uh, being the interviewer that you are, digging in deep all the time, you will say now, what does your wife think about that? Let me ask you something. When my wife's father has introduced me to Stogies, what is she going to say? She's not going to say my father made a mistake because her father never makes a mistake. So therefore, it is okay. I can smoke Stogies around her. I can smoke Stogies in my house. First of all, because her father introduced me to Stogies. And second of all, because I'm a stud. I'm ballsy. I don't take no shit from anyone. I smoke my Stogie anywhere I want. I don't have to find a hideout place like you. <laughs> now, humans, I just played that because, I, and this is not from the documentary, or there's like a, there's maybe a portion of this video in the documentary, actually. And, and again, I think this is probably from the mid to late 90s. I'm saying again because I played this a few months ago. But this, that sound clip, which is a video, uh, to me is indicative of what I'm talking about. And it's like, okay... You've got this guy who's saying, I don't take any shit from anybody. All right? I do what I want. And, of course, big guy. Physically big presence, right? And that's a big part of kind of how he seems to identify himself. I don't take any shit from anybody. I do what I want. Well, yeah. But you actually just spent like a minute explaining that the reason that you get to smoke these stoggies... Okay, the reason you've got the stogies is because your wife's dad is the one that introduced you to him. So it's like, well, you're you're in a way, there's some sort of like, I know this wouldn't be okay with most people, with most partners, but because my partner's dad introduced me to it, what what's she gonna say? So it begs the question, right? If 
Maria Shriver's father had not introduced Arnold to Stogis, then would he would he in his own mind would he in his own mind have a leg to stand on? Or would he think Stogies or something I do, you know, after a restaurant at the beach when I go for a walk down in the sand? You know, is it is it some kind of very specific thing that I'm only allowed to do certain times, you know? It sounds like he has a pretty big justification for why he's able to do it. And then only then does he say, I do what I want. I just wonder, he seems like a man of conflict. And it seems to me like um, the things that he's most, you know, he, you know, he's known for calling people, you know, criticizing their size, you know, if you're not a big guy. Uh, But maybe that's what he's most afraid of. He's just like, well, he's just like any of us. The thing he's most afraid of is the thing he's projecting. And again, armchair psychologist here, humans, okay? But that's just kind of, that's what I was picking up on. And I just find it interesting. And I'm not going to pick on this doc too much. Um, It didn't seem as, like, sensational as these ones I was criticizing at the beginning of the pod here, this muscles and mayhem nonsense. But there is, it does seem autobiographical, so we're... You know, there's there's certain times where you're like, okay, you're you're picking apart Arnold yourself, like I'm making my own choices about what I decided to see. But humans, a couple of takeaways: one, a couple of shots of Arnold on an e-bike, <laughs> one in Austria, and one in uh, and one in Venice Beach or Muscle Beach, rather. And uh, very interesting. And, it, you know, Arnold does Arnold does say some very apropos and vulnerable things. I don't want to I don't want to beat up on the guy too much. I mean, after all, I watch Pumping Iron every year. But here's here's where this all gets stitched together, humans. You know, from Pat's call about the e-bike to me ranting and raving about documentaries <laughs> at, the, at the end. Arnold talks about his daily life now that he's like in his like mid to late seventies, and he talks about what he does every morning. And he's got like some donkeys and some other like livestock type animals. <laughs> and he gets up, and he lets them out of their little barn, and then he beats on the side of this post. I don't know if it's part of his house or part of one of his barns, and he, that's their signal to go eat grass or something. And what does he beat on those? that post with one of those dog tennis ball tennis ball sticks <laughs> incredible incredible i mean i talked about that two weeks ago Brendan submitted his thing a week ago and then here i am two nights ago watching this and there's arnold with that damn stick he doesn't even he doesn't use it as a throw thing he uses it as a noisemaker to tell his livestock when to go eat grass Unbelievable. And the last thing, and the last thing is, you know, Arnold, tough action star, you know, muscle guy, does all these things. And then when they show footage of him skiing, he's skiing on piste. He's skiing on piste. He's on the smooth corduroy. (laughs) E-bikes and skiing on piste. The easy life. Well, we can't have it all. We can't have it all. And for those of you not, you know, into the ski lingo, on piste means on a nice groomed trail. You know, 
uh, etu, Arnold, etu. Well, humans, thank you so much for listening. Again, if you're interested in a mug, if you're interested in joining the mug club, email listenerline at sydneyholloshow.com. And of course, to participate in the show, email listenerline at sydneyholloshow.com. Audio or good old-fashioned typed email. Humans, have one hell of a weekend. Peace and love. Peace and love.